Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, for those who don't know, uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Whitewater, and uh, we are in this series called Stranger Summer Things. And the focus of this series has been all about uh, rest, and the series has also been about relationships. And today we're actually going to be focusing on uh, relationships, particularly the relationships we have at home. Uh, so I thought maybe the best way to start would just to give some context on just uh, for families if I showed just uh, my family. So I have this photo of my family here. Um, uh, this is the best photo I had. It was actually taken on Easter, so that's why Easter is cropped off from the top. Um, this is the before, as you see, uh, my youngest daughter, uh, Emma, this is right before she put her finger in her nose. Um, I, the photo after that, um, when I told my wife, I'm like, I'm gonna put the Easter photo up. She's like, not the one of your daughter picking her nose. So we got the one right before the nose. Um, this is, uh, she's three. This is my daughter, Linnea. Uh, she just turned eight. Uh, here's my uh, son, Jonah. He's about to turn seven. Um, and this is my uh, lovely bride, Audrey. And we actually have been married for 10 years. Thank you for cheering. You know, my wife will be so happy to know that, that like, hey, they cheered for you. It, it was good. Um, but, you know, uh, I absolutely, I love my family, um, but we are far Far from perfect. And good families, even great families, are off track 90% of the time. The key is uh, that you have, to, you have to have a sense of direction. Uh, they know what the track looks like, and they keep coming back to it time and time again. It's like, um, think of this, it's like the flight of an airplane. Before the plane takes off, the pilots have a flight plan. They know exactly where they are going, they, and they start off in accordance to w with their flight plan. But during the course of a flight, uh, whether it's wind, it's rain, turbulence, air traffic, human error, and other factors act upon a plane, uh, it, it moves in a slightly different direction. So much so that most of the time, a plane is actually not on a prescribed flight plan. Uh, and sometimes, uh, whether it's a weather or unusually heavy traffic, may even cause major deviations. But barring anything too major, the plane arrives at its destination. Now, how does that happen? During, so during the flight, the pilots are receiving constant feedback. They receive information from instruments, um, they, from the environment, uh, from the control towers and other planes. And based on that feedback, they make adjustments so that time and time again, they keep returning to the flight plan. Friends, the hope lies not in the deviations, but in the vision, the plan and the ability to get back on track. Uh, I think the flight of an airplane is, is an ideal metaphor for a family life. With regard to our families, it doesn't make any difference if we're off target or if our family's a complete mess. The hope lies in the vision and in the plan and the courage to keep coming back time and time again. So no matter how great your family is, no matter how much love and respect you have for each other, there will be times in your family where they've had it, whether it's your brother, whether it's your sister, your mother, your daughter, if they do that one more annoying thing, you're going to go crazy. In fact, I think I annoy my wife every single day. We've been married 10 years, 
And I still think every single night I am reminded that, is this a race when we're eating dinner? Just so she needs to be prepared. She's like, are we racing? No, it's not a race. Um, we, went to the mo- we went to the movies last week, and um, just as we're, just in case, I think she's just trying to be polite, just in case um, I learned I was too loud, and I might not realize there are other people in the theater around us. So that is, so again, I, I think I annoy my wife every single day. And I've heard it, heard it say that when one sinner marries another sinner, you double the trouble. And then you add a little sinnerlings to the mix, and you got major problems. Who taught families to be so difficult? I, I think having a family is the most exhausting, expensive, demanding, and difficult thing you will ever do. And we all know this because we all have one. Family can look different for a lot of people, and the main key is the relationships. Uh, for when I mention a, a mother or father, some of us have really fond memories. Uh, some of us, uh, we start to think of uh, painful experiences. Uh, we can come from a great home. We can come from a home of dysfunction. Um, uh, like me personally, you could come from a broken home. Um, and, and there are times in my life is what I would call uh, the only family I had was, was what I call my spiritual family, and that was the local church. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, the church was the only thing I had around me um, when I went off to college, and I was so grateful that they were there for me in those 400 years, that that was my family. That was my spiritual family. And most people, when we think about other fam- we think other families, you know, they're just about perfect while ours is falling apart. Yet every family has its challenges. So what I'd like to do today is share with you, share with you is how to create a sense of shared vision and values. And the reason why I use the word shared is without a sense of shared vision, people would be using all different type of criteria to make, um, to make decisions and be confusing. The idea is to create a vision that is shared by everyone in your family. And, if, and if, you're, if you're single, it's still important to have a vision, a sense of direction, and values that help shape your life. Your life. And if, you're ever, if you ever go into a relationship, you've got to make sure, do our visions even align? Or do we need to recalibrate or create a shared one together that we both are going to agree with? So, and before I learned about having a vision... And values, it was like my family, it was like I was getting on an airplane and we didn't know the direction. Most of us would not stay on an airplane if we got on, we were looking at our ticket, and the pilot says, you know, I'm just going to get on the airways, we'll catch a jet stream, and wherever the wind may takes us, that's where we're going to land. It would be crazy. There's a reason why it says where it says on the ticket. We would not go on an airplane if it was going to take us to a a different destination. Uh, people are passionate about getting to their destination. Um, most, at least every time I've traveled, maybe this isn't always the case, when I've seen them even offer up to $1,000 for someone to give up their ticket, and I just, I, it's just silent. Nobody wants to give up their ticket, and everyone around is like, I better get on this plane. They better have a seat for me. I will get to my destination. And for the pilot, just say, you know, who cares about the destination? We're just going to head over here. We wouldn't do that. So the, the key is going to be is to know where are we headed. So for us, um, I, I've seen uh, our George do this quite a bit, our lead pastor, so I thought this would be fun to do this ourselves. Um, so I'm going to ask everyone here, 
Um, I want you to imagine this right now. There's going to be a celebration in your honor. It's not a funeral. It's a celebration in your honor, not your death. Um, And people are going to be coming up and they're going to be making speeches. What would you hope people would say about your life? What would you hope they would say about your family? So I'm going to have them actually turn up the lights and we'll just take a few minutes. Uh, If you could connect to people around you, ask. What would you hope that people would say about your life? What would you hope, if we're going to make a a speech in your honor, um, what would you want them to say about your family? Go ahead and go. Thank you so much for passing this experiment. It would have been incredibly awkward if you all stayed silent. I'd be like, well, I guess George can do it, but I can't. Um, So thank you guys. Uh, What were some of the things? Pretend this is children's church. You just shout it out loud. Blurt it out. What are some things that you guys guys, um, would like to hear? Nothing. Lo- oh, loving. Loving. <laughs> <laughs> loving. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> loving. Some of you are like, you know what? Nothing would be just as fine. <laughs> so loving. What, what else would we like to hear? Uh, someone said that they wish that uh, they brought a tremendous amount of joy to people's lives. Yeah, they brought joy to others. That's, that's a really good one. What else? I'm warm and acceptance that's good <laughs> how about one one more one more what's that a good mother and wife I love that and I also gotta say I really appreciate that nobody had anything negative but we all had something uh, that was positive so um, guys then uh, this is on your notes if you if you I just highly recommend everyone having notes today um, then the first number one is have a vision statement for your family. And on your notes, I actually put down um, some questions. There are guidelines. There's, there's on the front, and if you flip it over to the back, there's a bunch of other questions here. Um, I've broken these few sections. Um, the, these are questions that um, my wife and I actually went through ourselves. I wouldn't ask you guys to do anything I wasn't willing to do myself, um, but I, I think there's key in having a sense of direction, a sense of vision, and a lot of times I think we just don't know what questions we should be asking, or we don't even realize, oh, that's actually something I, I wish I asked in the first place or even thought of. Um, so this is something uh, Audrey and I did, um, and we included our children as, we, as well, as best as we could, um, and based off of these questions um, that are on your notes, um, th- this is how we end up creating a vision statement. And it's a process. It's not just the five minutes here at church. It's not just um, a one-time meeting. Uh, we actually spent several weeks working on a vision statement. Um, and it's something we all worked on together until uh, we felt good about it. So um, for the second time today, I can't say the first time today because of first service, but because the second time today, uh, you guys are going to be the second to ever hear my family's vision statement. Um, I don't want to ask you guys to do anything I wouldn't do myself. Um, and again, this t- this, it's a process. It's not something you just do overnight, but this is what we created. As a family, we are at our best when we are united and put each other before ourselves. We will try to prevent times of selfishness. We will find more time of being a family who spends time together. We will help each family member by being encouraging and assuming the best from each other. We will help others by looking out for the needs of others in our community. 
we will stop procrastinating and start working on being healthy and active. We will be viewed as a family that are close and a family that walks with God. We will fill our home with joy. We will make choices and decisions based on truth, respect, unconditional love, and fun. And this is why I remind a shared vision, mom and dad didn't come up with fun. Um, but one of our kids says, you know, it might be good if we had some fun. I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably pretty important here. Um, my, my son, he's like, oh, we should be cool. So I was like, well, let's, let's flesh out what cool means <laughs> for this vision. Um, where, where are we headed? Um, and guys, my wife and I, we make a lot of mistakes with raising our kids, and we make a lot of mistakes with each other. Uh, we make a lot of, uh, most of our mistakes have, it, uh, most of our conflict is, is how to raise our family. Where are we going? And for a lot of families, I think this can be the biggest tension. I think this is a bigger tension than money, more than in-laws, more than anything else. And we are so joyful for each other. And at the same time, there are many hardships. Again, we're off course 90% of the time. The, but the vision has helped us time and time again as a reminder of where we want to head. And you know what? Our kids have even used this against us. Uh, my daughter has said, um, you know, Dad, I don't think you're spending enough time with us. I'm like, you are absolutely right. She's like, you know, you wrote this thing. It's on our fridge. It says this. Yes, guys, there are times that um, even parents get off the vision, and it's actually our kids can be the ones that can help us get us back on track. Um, when it comes to and for when it comes to children, for some of you, it's been nothing but grief. But there's hope, but it's not going to be easy because whatever's happening, good or bad, it's happening on our watch. As a parent, our child's greatest influence—it's not their teachers, it's not their coaches, it's not their peers, it's not Instagram, it's not the Kardashians. Um, if you have a child at this moment that is disrespectful or out of control or is withdrawn. It's really up to us parents to figure out why this is happening and take appropriate action. And I noticed you guys did this. Um, and if you notice in our vision too, it, we didn't have a statement that says that we want our, um, for our, we, it's, it's not to make our family happy. So uh, th- think of it this way. Ask this question. Why not a vision I want my family to be responsible? Why not I want my family to be honest? I want my family to be hardworking. I want my family to be faith-filled. I believe if our family becomes those things, they will be happy. So here's a question. How do I do this? So let's say you've gone over a vision statement for yourself or a shared vision statement together as a family. Let's say you wrote it down. It's on the refrigerator for everyone to see. How do we help our family, ourselves, our kids, be responsible, godly human beings that add value and joy to life with direction of who we want to be instead of pain. It's not enough just to write something on a piece of paper. And I think there are a few values every family needs to increase your odds for success. So actually, I love, um, I love this example by Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, and in the Bible, he says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
So on your notes, this is the second one on number two. Set an example by your speech. Uh, Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It says the words have the power of life or death. And sometimes we can be so negative. Uh, and to me personally, I'm more negative about myself. I can become my, my, myself's greatest critic. And I can be so negative that I actually I start projecting onto other people. Uh, we don't need to say or hear life-killing words. Words that are blaming, accusing, or reactive, such as, I can't believe the way these kids are behaving. Or, you're driving me crazy. Or, my spouse is so inconsiderate. We need to say and hear life-giving words like, I, I love you. I'm so proud of you. God has a plan for your life. Or, I can help create rules in our family that will enable our children to learn consequences of their behavior. I can look for opportunities to teach positive behavior. Our words have so much power in our family, good or bad. And if we are using hard or profane words, we are harming in a permanent way. If you are using life-giving words, we are blessing our kids. We're blessing our family. And I, I understand the feeling, uh, the pain of words. Um, uh, my mom has used one of those life-killing words that has, still to this day has been hard. Um, so when I called my mom, I said, hey, I'm getting married, and I gave her the date. The first thing she said, she's like, you know, that's really inconvenient for me. Um, that, that made me feel so worthless. Uh, we're not, and you know what, we're not always going to say the right things, but when we do mess up, some of the best advice I've ever received was to apologize. Um, here, here's just wisdom is look, look for people that you're like, oh, I want to be like that. Uh, that family has something, there's something special going on there. And there was one, one family, all the kids are grown up, and they had such a good relationship with their parents, and I just asked, what, what, do you, what, what was so meaningful to you growing up with your family? And they said, my parents always apologized. Um, that was such a powerful moment that when they were wrong, they apologized. So when Audrey or I, when we lose our temper or we say something out of frustration, um, we will go back after we've calmed down. It's not an apology if you're still angry. Um, but after we've calmed down, we will go back and be like, I am so sorry. I'll, I'll ask my daughter, I'll ask my son, can you, can you forgive me? I'll ask my wife, can you forgive me? Um, I, was, I was only thinking of myself. Even, even when the reasons are, were frustrated in the first place is because of that family member. We've got to seek and ask forgiveness. And if this is a struggle, you can overcome it with God's help. So going back to 1 Timothy 4.12, uh, and this is number three on your notes, after we talked about setting an example in speech, set an example by your conduct. Set an example by your conduct. So what about conduct? Parents, if we want our kids to be honest, are we honest? If we want our kids to be moral, are we moral? If we want them to be productive, are we productive? How, how is drinking handled in your home? How is conflict handled in your home? What examples are we set, setting when it comes to earning, spending, or saving money? Is, is our life one 
that we hope our family or others would emulate? Is our life one we hope they would follow? Uh, and I almost forgot this story until I started writing this down. Um, for those who don't know, a long, a long time ago, I used to be a cable technician. I would be the guy, um, like Comcast, I would come to your home and I'd run your television, your internet, or your, your phone. And I remember I, I went to this, this apartment. It was, it was really nice on the outside. And as soon as the gal opened the door, it looked like a tornado went through the kitchen, went through the living room, and it was just a mess everywhere. And she said, I am so sorry. I'm trying to teach my son not to be messy. Um, he, he has made a disaster here. I'm trying to get him to clean it. So I'm wadding through all this trash, and then I find out I'm there to fix her internet, and the outlet's actually in her bedroom. And this is the reason why I remember this story, is she opens her bedroom door, which is more filthy, more trash than the living room and kitchen, and she has a half-eaten large pizza that is growing on, the si on one side of her bed that she sleeps on. She has just enough room cleared off for where she sleeps, and everything else is filled with trash. And I remember as she's moving trash out of the way for me to get to the outlet, and she says, I, I am so sorry about the, my son and how messy of a person he is, and you have to see this. And in my time and my mind, I'm thinking, you're the messy one. Of course he's messy. You're leading by example. Your son, he, could, he looks at the kitchen living room, and he's like, what do you mean I'm messy? I don't have anything growing in my room. But her room, it was just filthy. Her son was modeling the example that was set before him. He might not um, Friends, we don't just, we don't set the standard. Um, we want our family to imitate. We have to set the example and we need to model it. It's not alone just say, this, these are the rules. This is what, what you're doing. I have to be able to model that uh, for myself. I have to be that example. So going back to 1 Timothy 4.12, after it says, in speech and in conduct, uh, this is number four on your notes, set an example by your love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, men maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Are our actions and words showing love? It's important for a vision that our, for our family that we would express love to each other. Uh, for, and for human beings, a study came out of UCLA that says that every human needs eight to ten touches a day. And a defined touch by a hug, a pat, um, a, a touch, or a kiss. And Jesus understood this. Um, think, think of it this. Even, even babies, just real quick. Even babies, they cannot survive without human contact. A baby will not survive without touch. Everybody is here is alive today because, because of that. So, and Jesus modeled this. Uh, Mark 1.41 says, Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and he touched him. And another verse, they brought young children to him that he might touch them. He took his arms around him and put his hands on them so that he could bless them. So why did Jesus touch people? Because there is power in a loving, appropriate touch. Some, and some here might say, you know, I'm not a touchy person. And I, and I hear that. But we all need the recipient of express love. It's not like I'm grabbing my cell phone, I'm barely looking, I'm like, yeah, I, I love you. And I'm going back to this. No. 
I need to put the phone down. I need, I need to be making eye contact um, to be able to express my love. I need to make sure they know that you are the priority here. Not, not this. The, wor- the worst is when I'm, I'm with my child and they just want to sit next to me and they say, Daddy, please put that down. I just, I just want to be near you. Even though she's watching TV and watching a cartoon, she says, Daddy, I just, want you to, I just want you to put that down so we could be together. And, and I've seen that she's asking for me that I, I can show her her love, that I can be the priority for her life. That this isn't more important. Uh, going back to 1 Timothy 4.12, um, we, we talked about speech, we talked about conduct, we talked about love. What about faith? So number five on your notes, set an example by your faith. Is your faith real? Is it genuine? Is it growing? Are you pursuing a relationship with Christ? Does your family ever see you pray? Are you leading them to church every weekend without fail? You might be, some of you might be saying, but our family, we're involved in sports. I know you're involved in sports. Uh, but are, are you involved in church? Most important thing in our family's life is to pursue Jesus. Are we pursuing Jesus Christ? Are we pursuing a relationship with him? So here's something I recommend. Pray together at every stage of life. And here's why. And you might not consider yourself a religious person, but there is something about praying together. You know, when we talk about, when I talked about before about, you know, seeking wisdom from those, you know, I've found time and time again that those families who kept praying together every stage of life had healthier families from when their children were babies to growing up to teenagers to all the way through adulthood or even just with them and their spouse that every season of life they always prayed together. So even in chaos, even uh, when Audrey and I are tired, we got home really late, we have refused to give up praying together. And I believe it will pay huge dividends. And if you don't have kids, pray at least once a day with your spouse. If you're single, spend every day on prayer. This does change your life. You have to figure out a way to always be in the habit of praying together. And when it comes to spiritual habits, the things we believe in, the things that we believe in is more powerful a force in our family's life than anything else. And this left a lasting impression in my life. Uh, my dad would get up at 4, 4.30 a.m. every morning to go to work. He'd come home com- completely, um, completely filthy, completely exhausted. The first thing he'd do is he'd take a shower, and then he would go read his Bible. And, and, and I, I remember this this day. So I know I'm doing a good job when my kids, uh, when they wake up in the morning and they go downstairs, like, oh, dad's reading his Bible again. They're like, I'm hungry. I know I have to wait. And like, I, this is, I'm leaving a lasting impression. I want them to see how important spending time, how important a relationship with God is. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, and the reason why I, I think this is key, it says old, is sometimes it takes a while. Even if you have done the training right, they might go off the path for a while. Uh, here, here's a really, a really good quote that, that hit me this week. Um, this is from Abraham Lincoln. It says, to train up a child in the way he should go is to travel the path yourself. 
and God will lead the way. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So the thing is, we, we cannot give up. If you quit, if I quit, everyone else loses. You can't come up with a great shared vision for yourself. You can't create, come up with, with a vision for your family. What does it matter if you give up? It's going to be hard. Uh, this, is, this is one of my favorite quotes. It's by um, Mike Tyson. It says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> and my friends, my older daughter knows how to push buttons. And it can be shocking. It can be exhausting. Um, th- this is about a year, a year and a half ago. Um, my, my, son, my son, Joan, is playing in the front room all by himself. My daughter's in the living room. Out of my corner, I, I see her walk into the front room and throws them on the ground and then just walks away. <laughs> and well, what? Why would you do that? She's like, what? What were you thinking? He was by himself. You just need to show him who you are? Just throw him on the ground? It pushes my buttons. Why would you do that to your little brother? And I'll tell you why. It's because of sin. It's depravity, and we all have sins. And when it comes to discipline, Audrey and I are on top of it. <laughs> uh, why do we discipline her? It's because if, she, if, I, if we don't, she's going to grow up and she's not going to have no friends. She won't be able to hold on to a job. And she'll not know how to respect authority. We are her parents. It's not a popularity contest. And there are times that um, uh, they will push back. They will rebel against your authority. Our job is to get them to adulthood with their life, morals, and faith intact. And this is especially important with teens. Now, I, I, I know most of our teenagers are at summer camp right now. Um, we actually had 15 students go to camp, so that's a huge celebration. Um, so I thought I'd be safe, um, but there are, some, there are teenagers in here as well, so this, please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. Um, but I used to be a youth pastor, and this is something I learned. It, and so I'll just blanket cover. It's not all teens. But I would say majority teens want all the freedom of an adult without the responsibility of an adult. They want to drive your car, spend your money, stay out till dawn till, with no consequences. But there isn't a redeeming factor. In teens, you can use this against your parents. Um, the last area for a teenage brain to develop is called the frontal cortex. And you know what the frontal cortex does? It thinks. It reasons. So if your parents are like, what are you thinking? I can't. It's not developed. Uh, David Walsh, he said this, the reason teens are so impulsive is because the gas pedal in their brains is in high gear, but the braking system isn't developed yet. Teenagers do not have the mental ability to make decisions without your help. They need your guidance. And by the way, every kid is different, which means we need to adapt our parenting. And it's only worse when they're younger. Um, uh, My son, the other week, um, went to the bathroom washed his hands, and did he use the towel to dry him? Oh, no. But he just thought he'd walk into the living room in front of me, and he started drying his hands all over the wall. And I asked him, 
why didn't you use the towel? And he goes, he can't even think mentally, I don't know. He just goes, And the, the other week, after we eat dinner, there's a napkin in front of him. Does he use his napkin? Oh, no. Doesn't use his napkin. I know what you're thinking. Oh, he used his pants. Oh, no. He didn't use his pants either to, to, dry, to wash off his hands with all the, all the greasy food. I think we had spaghetti. Nope. But you know what? He had a nice, perfectly clean set of hair and just went like this. <laughs> and in a loving way, in a loving way, I said, what are you doing? He goes, why didn't you use your napkin? I, I, I don't know what urged He's like, I don't know what urged me, but I just thought I have hair. I might as well use it for something. <laughs> Proverbs 24.10 says this, if you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. We can't bail on this responsibility. We're not always going to know if we're doing it right. And we get confused at times. But we've got to hang in there. Remember, we're off course 90% of the time. And deep down, kids want to know what the boundaries are. And they find security in, I love you too much to do that. And I, my friends, I'm a living testimony of this. Um, so I, I come from a broken home, and I, I'm as re, I was rebellious as they come. And I'll, I'll even paint a picture just to give you an idea of how rebellious I was. Um, my dad had rules, and I didn't want to have rules. So I ended up moving in with my mom. My mom. Because of my mom, and by her even buying it, I got involved in drugs, and I even got involved in alcohol. Because um, I just asked my mom, and she'd go buy it for me, and I'm 14. Uh, one weekend, I had to go uh, visit my dad, and while I'm with my dad for the weekend only, I went and got arrested at church. Could you imagine? If you wonder if your child is difficult, try getting arrested at, at church. And my dad had no, nothing he could do because I immediately the next day went back to my mom's. And there was no consequences for getting arrested. No consequences. The only consequence I was like, oh, he got caught, huh? That was it. And, and I, I thank God for this day. Um, something hit me a, a few months later while I was living with my mom. And I thought, you know, if my mom really cared about me, if she really loved me, there is no way she would let me do these things. There's no way she'd let me get, get away with this. I couldn't be rebellious. There was no consequences. And, and I knew that there was also no way my dad would allow me to do any of these things, let alone I could not even imagine the expression on his face. I said, hey, would you go ahead and, and buy me some alcohol tonight? Would that be okay? I, I can't even fathom. Um, when, I was, when I was 14, I, want, I wanted nothing to do with God. And I knew I would have to go back to that very church that I was arrested in. And you know what I did? I chose to leave my mom, and I ended up moving in with my dad. And I don't know if I'd be standing here today and speaking to you if I didn't have a father who set boundaries for my life. Uh, later that year, I ended up going to summer camp, just like a camp like our students are at right now. I ended up giving my life to Christ at that camp. 
So here's the dilemma. The years when your family needs your time the most is when you have the least amount of it. Because you're building a career, you're building a family, and you're going crazy. But here's the thing. We can't do everything. We can't have everything. Something has to give. Nobody can work three jobs, go to 10 soccer games, have season tickets, go out with friends every week, and also be a parent. In the end, life teaches us what is the most important thing, and that is family. Often, for people on their deathbeds, things not done in the family are the source of greatest regret. And I I thought this was interesting. Um, Hospice volunteers report that in many cases, unresolved issues, particularly with family members, see, with family members, seem to keep people holding on, clinging to life until there's a resolution, and acknowledging an apology, a forgiving that would bring peace and release. So I just want you guys to think of this real quick. Um, here's just a thought. This, when it comes to leg- legacy, here's a thought. This is a little bit of a tangent. Um, your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Many of us here are sons or daughters of men and women who did great things for the kingdom of God, and your parents set you up for success. You may be your parents' greatest contribution to the world, and your children may be your greatest contribution to the world. For some of you, your grandchildren will be your greatest contribution to make this world. And you know, often when people tell their stories of success in their life, they talk, they talk, usually they talk about someone who impacted them from a previous generation. They said, oh, when this, pers- this person did this life or this person took me over here. And most of the time, we don't even know who those people are. And, and my friends, you could be that person. Um, our lead pastor, George, his grandfather was one of those type of people. Uh, so before I moved here, before I became part of this church, I was at this big church, and the lead pastor's name was Lynn, and he always pointed out and he said, the only success I have is standing on the shoulders of George. He's talking about George versus George's grandfather. He said, G, G1, he saw something in him that nobody else saw, not even his parents. So he took my lead pastor, Lynn, alongside of his wing, and he taught him everything he knew about God. Uh, George's grandfather, he was never a lead pastor. He was never really part of a, a really big church. But he helped my lead pastor end up growing a church of 7,000 people. And it was be, and, and time and time again, he would say, I'm only here because this person poured and, and spent time with me and taught me everything that I know. If not, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today if, if I really want to go in retrospective, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the people who poured into my life, who, uh, who Lynn poured into, and Lynn got poured into because of his grandfather. I know George wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that contribution from his family. The greatest gift might not be something you do, but someone you raise. And to trade that opportunity to impact the next generation for something else, it's a, it's a terrible trade. So let me close with this. Philippians 4.13 You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can do it. No matter how hard it is, you can do all things, not on your own strength, but through Christ who loves you, who understands what you're dealing with. So through Christ, go to him. 
His hand is stretched out to you 24-7. Put your trust in him. So what I want to do is I'm going to, I just want to pray for everyone here right now. Um, and, and for some of you, you have a fantastic family. They're on the path. They're on the right path. And it's turning out and you are so joyful. It's a great time. Nothing better and I'm rejoicing with you. And for some of you, your family's in trouble. And sometimes you don't know what to do. When it comes to being a parent, uh, for some of you, you've lost a child. And that's, that's a whole different kind of heartache. And some of you here, you have desperately prayed, God, would you, give, would you give us a child? And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened yet. God is faithful. God understands where you are. Keep trusting in him. You are not alone in this parenting struggle. Again, there is a heavenly father who loves you, whose hand is stretched out to you 24-7. Reach out, grab his hand. Put your full trust in him. And some of you parents, you're knocking out of the park. You're hanging in there. You're loving your kids. You're loving your spouse. And some of you are saying, Scott, I've screwed this all up. And what I want to say is you, to you is you can turn it around. There is a God who loves you and willing to forgive whatever screw up you made. You can make a decision today to become the person or parent God has designed you to be. Make the decision for your sake. Make the decision for the sake of your family. Make the decision for the sake of your kids. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. And, and Father, as, as I pray, there is something, I, Lord, I ask, Lord, would there be something for every single person here today? Lord, would there be something that each of us can take on and say, well, yep, Lord, that, that was for me. I, I can apply that to my life. Lord, I can use that um, with you. And God, we need your help. We need a help that we cannot generate on our own. We need your divine help. So God, I pray, would you be of each and every person that's in this building, each and every person who's watching online? God, would you, would you bless them? Would you reach out your hand and would you grab a hold of them? Would they know that you're loved and that you are with them through these situations, through the times of good and the times of bad? God, would you be with each and every one saying, Lord, I thank you so much that you are faithful, so much that you continue to be with us. In your name I pray, amen.